Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, brought to you by the Coming Home Network International, and we're broadcasting from the studios here at the Coming Home Network International. Let me just remind you, in case uh, you've never joined this program before, if you go to deepinscripture.com, you can find out more about our program. Um, and you can listen to all the archive programs. In fact, we've been doing this for far more years than I can think of. And our guest today, who's Bruce Sullivan, has been on Deep in Scripture several times before. He's a good friend, and it's great to have him back. Uh, if you have any questions about our program or about any of the Deep in Scripture programs, you can send us an email at dis at chnetwork.org. And you can visit chnetwork.org uh, to find out all about the work of the Coming Home Network International. And so thank you for that. Now, these uh, particular Deep in Scripture programs that we've been uh, producing now for the last year or so uh, have the a flavor of what we call hard verses. And so I asked my guests to talk about Scriptures that were hard for them previously, in their previous tradition. And kind of the underlying idea here is the idea that the, the Scriptures are the infallible inspired Word of God, and we recognize that as a great blessing that God has given to us through His church. And um, there are different ideas on how to interpret Scripture, whether on the one hand it's sufficient alone, all we need is the Bible alone in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to know what it says. And though the church has always taught that everything that's necessary for salvation is in Scripture given there by the Holy Spirit, the church has always said that, no, the, the Scripture alone uh, was never intended to be a, a sole document uh, to teach us everything we need to know about our faith, but that it's a part of a wider tradition that was given by Christ to his apostles and guarded by the Holy Spirit, and then that we need to understand the Scriptures through the teacher through which we've received. I mean, the reason we have this book that we trust as a collection of infallible works is because we believe that the Holy Spirit guided the bishops in the early church, particularly in the end of the fourth century, to bring these particular books together into this collection, leaving some out that were questionable, uh, and including some that many had said, no, they shouldn't be in the Bible, like the book of Revelation. But no, the church guided by the Spirit said, no, this is the collection. Well, my guests, I always ask them to choose a verse from their previous tradition, specifically when they were Bible alone folk, Verses that didn't quite fit in well with their theology. And so they either found them hard to interpret or didn't in interpret them at all and avoided them. And so I've asked a good friend, Bruce Solomon, who uh, is a former Church of Christ minister, to join us. And you know Church and Christ ministers in general are just stern folk. And so I warn you about Bruce. Hello, Bruce. Hello, hello. Stern. Stern as, stern as nails. <laughs> well, you know, I'm doing tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I will say that often when I think of Church of Christ pastors, when I, sternness isn't the right word, but there was a deep conviction, commitment to truth and yeah. a defending of truth. Uh, hardcore. Hardcore. I mean, they specifically, in that phrase that Paul said in Ephesians, speak the truth in love, they said, nah, love's not important. It's all about truth, right? Uh, it, it could it could slip into that sometimes. Yeah. Well, and you know we're joking a little bit, but that isn't a, a symptom only of Church of Christ. It could be a symptom of us all. 
we can yes. forget that we're always called to speak the truth in love. So, Bruce, thank you for joining us again. Um, talk about the verse that you wanted us to discuss today, because it has a history of it for you, but particularly look at the past. Uh, what verse and why was it hard for you? Uh, I've chosen Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. And I'm going to read it from the New American Standard Bible, which was the Bible I used um, as a non-Catholic. And therein, St. Paul said, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so we, we like that first part a great deal. Hey, we're children of God, heirs of God, heirs of Christ. Sounds good, great deal. But then the idea of how, how did suffering factor into that? And, you know, I had basically two backgrounds. You know, my, my first half of my young life was as an evangelical Southern Baptist. And then in college, I joined the Stone Campbell Churches of Christ. Well, as an evangelical, you know, my first half of my college years, um, it was really hard to figure out how to tie salvation into something predicated upon suffering with Christ, because as you know, you know, our works, our actions, our activities really had nothing to do with our salvation, and particularly if you had a Calvinistic slant where once saved, always saved. And so about the only way I guess I could have dovetailed that or harmonized into it would, would be something to say like, well, if we weren't willing to suffer with Christ, it showed our faith wasn't genuine or something. So, but then that leaves you hanging uh, you know, on the hook because what if some event occurs in your life in which you shy away from suffering for Christ? Uh, what, you didn't have a saving faith? Uh, and then later on as a Campbellite or Church let, of Christ let, member. Let, let me jump ahead, in there. Let me jump sure. in there for just a second to say, again, you're mentioning the Calvinist perspective and you were a Baptist at the time. Of course, I was a, a former Presbyterian pastor um, I think one of the ways we dealt with that idea of when something happens, something bad happens in our life, uh, because we were, we emphasize so much the sovereignty of God in mm. our lives, even to the complete expense of any freedom of will. And so there, that goes back to Luther and Calvin and, and the struggle between the Calvinists and the Arminians. Does man have any free will at all? Everything's a part of God's predestination. That's the Calvinist soul. When we would suffer, we would we would just quickly say, well, that was somehow part of God's plan. Now let me move on. You know, the, mm. that, that, that was a part of God's purpose for my life. Uh, he, he needed to hit me with a two-by-four for some reason. That was a part of his plan. Before the beginning of time, I don't understand, but now my job is to just keep my eyes on Christ and move forward. Um, if I had looked at it through Lutheran eyes, I might have said, you know, of course I'm a sinner, through and through, even though I'm covered by the grace of Christ. Why did I go through this suffering? I really don't know. I just need to keep my eyes on Jesus. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. I mean, that's to me, as I look back, I never tried to see any deeper meaning in it. And frankly, you know, this verse, I'm 100% with you. The first part of it, I would have preached from the rooftops. I would have affirmed from 1 John 3, we are sons of God, so we are sons of Christ. All of that, the suffering part, I just jumped over. I didn't purposefully ignore. I, I don't think you purposefully ignore them. But I'm wondering, no. I'm wondering if we were kind of blinded by our tradition that since we really didn't have a place for suffering, it didn't seem to have 
I mean, the idea of redemptive, it didn't have any value to it, that we, it, we just didn't notice it because it was not an important part of our journey. And I know later on when I, when I again became a, a member of the Church of Christ, right. you know, they're not Calvinist. They don't believe in, you know, eternal security. They believe in the possibility of personal apostasy. They believe that faith must obey. Um, we had a little better grip, grasp on the idea that suffering is a part of your salvation in the sense that, well, you obviously have to be willing to obey Christ no matter what the cost. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you don't, you know, you're not going to be saved. And so there was that a- aspect that suffering, you know, could somehow tie into your, your, your faith journey. And I heard preachers talk about suffering because you can't be a human being and ignore the problem of suffering. It's right. the most universal uh, human pickle there is. How do you explain suffering? But it would always fall short because it would come down to something like, well, suffering is a way maybe to prove your love. Suffering is a way to grow in character. Suffering is a way to have your faith tested and tried and purified. And that's all true, but it doesn't go deep enough. And, it and I think for, go ahead. I was going to say, it doesn't yeah, go deep enough. It doesn't go deep enough. You know, and you was, know for me with a, go ahead. I was going to say, I remember again, Ed, to go on with that, when you had said it's something you can't avoid. I mean, Bruce, you and I both remember being in the hospital with families where a family member is going through horrendous suffering or being at a funeral and trying to explain why did this happen to this 11-year-old boy or talking to a wife whose husband's in a coma. You know, why has this happened? He, he, he believed in Christ. I remember having experience in the second church I pastored where um, a wom- young woman came down with cancer and it was critical and it was and all the ladies of the church were gathered around playing praying for healing they were claiming healing putting their hands on healing if we only had faith she'd be healed telling the husband if she only had enough faith she'd be healed telling the husband if you have enough faith she'll be healed and she died and their their message was she wouldn't have died if she had had enough faith that suffering was a result of her lack of faith i mean that man and i'm talking 40 some years ago and my guess is at the time, he left the church and never saw him again. I don't even know if he ever came back to faith because there was no at all any celebration with her leaving to go with Christ. It was all about, you know, if she had enough faith, she wouldn't have died. I mean, so understanding suffering, there wasn't a category for it. And how did you deal with it when you preached a sermon over a, at, a, at a, a funeral or you're standing behind somebody who's suffering in the hospital, but what do you say about it? We could, we might have said that some suffering is like a father disciplining a son, and, and I need to, yeah. you know, that's one way to deal with suffering, but you don't tell that to somebody in a hospital room who's, you know, they're dying of cancer. How do you explain it? And I didn't have a good category for it. It ends up, resu- you end up resulting, uh, resorting to platitudes, maybe that sound good, I can remember one time, even as a Catholic, uh, a woman on the steps of our our church who didn't have a a thorough enough understanding of the Catholic approach to suffering. She had almost a Protestant-like approach to it, and she was going through an awful lot. And she said to the pastor in exasperation, "Well, Lord, don't I have enough character already?" And so you know, again, because she's viewing it strictly in terms of she just heard these, "Oh, suffering builds good character." Da 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 da. Yeah, it can. But for the Christian, the message goes much deeper than that. And in this passage that we're looking at, um, you know, two words jump out. If 
and with. You know, the, you know the, the, the Revised Standard Version says, you know, use the word uh, provided. You know, provided we suffer with him. This NA, the New American Standard said, if we suffer with him. So there we find our, our salvation, our glorification yeah. predicated upon suffering. But the key word for me that, 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 that sets the Catholic understanding of suffering apart is that word with. We suffer with Christ. Um, and, and that's the key because it's the idea of recognizing the full implications of being members of the mystical body of Christ. You know, you remember St. Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me, Acts 9, or in the sheep and the goats? You know, you did this unto me, or you didn't do it unto me. Jesus was in jail. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was naked. And so when I came into the Catholic Church, I, I learned about some of these things, about, you know, suffering with Jesus. And I, and I picked up a phrase I'd never heard growing up, and that was, offer it up. Okay, the offering it up. And I can remember for years, I was kind of stumped about what that meant. I mean, how do you do it? Uh, somebody explain the mechanics. How, what do I do? When I, is, is there a certain prayer? Is there an offering up prayer I got to do? And how do I make it work? And when my own family was going through a great deal of suffering, I, five of my children all have a, the same disabling physical condition. And two years ago, my youngest one was reduced to a wheelchair all winter long. And it was, it was a very hard experience. And during that time, I was thinking more about sickness and suffering and the cross and all these things. And a mother superior at a uh, convent of Passionist nuns close to our home, who we love dearly, these Passionist nuns have been our prayer support for years. I asked the mother superior, you know, how do I do this? How do I make my sufferings, the suffering of Christ. How do I unite my sufferings to the cross of Christ? Because I've been a Catholic for 15 years and been hearing allusions to it, but didn't know how to do it. I'll never forget her response. She said, oh, Bruce, you don't have to make your sufferings the sufferings of Christ. Because you're a member of the mystical body of Christ, your sufferings already are his sufferings. And whether you realize it or not, they're offered up to the Father at each and every Mass on this planet. That was the key to having a breakthrough to how suffering has redemptive value. We're members of the mystical body of Christ. Our sufferings, when we suffer, Jesus does suffer. When others suffer, we suffer. We're all members of that same body, and Jesus worked out our redemption through suffering because it's the only way to express love in our fallen world. You know, that gets that gets me back to something that um, I think is the most humblest key to our faith that we take for granted. Um, I'm going to read you a verse that you're very familiar with and I'm sure some of our audience are familiar with. I can't imagine they wouldn't have heard it at some point. It was one of those verses that I had to memorize years and years ago as an evangelical. Philippians 4, when Paul says, beginning of verse 6, and I'm going to read this, but I'm going to leave a word out, and I'm going to, don't you look it up, but I'm wondering mm -hmm. if you can picture which word I'm leaving out, which is the key. He said, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, can you think of the word I left out? Marcus, 
I lost the connection while you were reading. <laughs> oh, see, the, you lost most of it. Okay, let me read it again, but I'll put the word in this time. Paul said, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And later, of course, he says, not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. The key is this issue of gratitude and thanksgiving. You're the, the nun that talked to you about no, nothing you have to do. Your sufferings are already a part of it. Well, the reason they are able to be a part of it is because they, they come from the grace that has changed our heart into a heart of thanksgiving. Now, we're not puppets. It needs our will, too, to be grateful and thankful. We're called to be that way. All through the Bible, it talks about giving a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's an act yep. of the will, but it's, it's motivated and it's moved by grace, which then makes our suffering a part of the way that we are purged and purified to become the men and women that Christ wants us to be. But for that suffering, that's a part of the journey that we share with Christ, needs an attitude of thanksgiving, of gratefulness, even for the suffering. And that was the other verse that you wanted to refer to because it yeah. connects suffering and gratitude. You mentioned that it's, verse, which we we mentioned many times in this yeah. program, but it's so key. Yeah, Colossians 1.24, you know, that I fill up in my body was lacking the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. Um, you know, one thing occurred to me as you're but he sharing says, those I just want, Before I go there, he's, before that he said, and I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, right? Right. You know, so there's that connection between our attitude and the suffering, our rejoicing, our gratefulness, our thankfulness, as opposed to doubting, questioning, um, getting discouraged, turning like Peter, his eyes away from Jesus and sinking in the water, is that connection with with rejoicing and the suffering. Bruce, I want to bring, bring to your attention just a couple other verses. And for the audience, I've got a gift for you today. I used an online program to do a search of the word suffer in the New Testament. And there are 82 times in the New Testament, the Revised Standard Version, that the word suffer appears. Suffer, suffered, suffering. Um, and I'm going to post it up there as a PDF for you to look at. It's a fascinating study. Um, you can see how often in the Gospels, the word suffering is always used by Christ to refer to what he's going to suffer. And then as soon as we get into the New Test, the epistles, not only do we hear about Christ's suffering, but we see this growth and understanding by the new epistle writers about the necessity of our sharing this suffering with him. And it's all there. And Bruce, you pointed out earlier, this is just looking at the word suffer. It's not using the other words like trials and tribulations and all the other things that we share, which point out. But there's a couple of verses, Bruce, that I wanted to kind of read and then have you reflect on as we close. And one particularly which connects with what you said, um, and that is 2 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 3, when Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction 
with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. I mean, there particularly talks about that mystical body of Christ that we share both as the working of grace, apart from anything we do, it's just a part of that, as that nun told you. There's nothing we have to do. Our suffering, when we offering it up, is really means trusting in Jesus. That's what it means. And we, we give it into him. We trust it to him. And we share it one, with another. But on the other hand, it does involve our willful participation, our attitudes, gratefulness, thankfulness, comforting one another. And you were given, I, this is off, awkward to say, on the one hand, you were given a certain gift of comfort because of the unique suffering that your family went through. And now your opportunity is to share that comfort with others. Yes, uh, I, I believe that. And, uh, and, you know, in the passage you're reading, that, that's describing that communal sharing and suffering, it's, it all has to do ultimately with the fact that the church, the, the, God is love. The, the, the church is a communion of love. The, Holy, the Trinity is a communion of love, community of love. The church is a communion of love. And in our fallen world today, uh, it's not possible to love without suffering. You know, lo- love entails suffering, you know, self-denial, uh, giving uh, to the other, denying. Uh, it's, it's something that we, even our whole culture's definition of love doesn't necessarily involve suffering anymore. Love is primarily about what makes me feel good in the LUV version uh, of that. And yet when we understand, you know, the the, the love of Christ, it was a love that suffered, showed us the way to actually love, which involves without any doubt, the denial of ourselves, the, the offering up of trials. I can remember myself, in fact, after having gone through, you know, two years of a, a very difficult experience, and it was, it was made more difficult because of some very bad theology that was presented to me, the idea that sickness is an unnecessary suffering, that if you just say the right prayers, et cetera, et cetera, Jesus will heal you. Uh, similar to what you had mentioned earlier, experience of that one man. Well, I, was, I went through that and was actually put through that by, believe it or not, a Catholic priest <laughs> who was teaching something very similar, which wasn't very Catholic, but it was something he had uh, absorbed from some other sources. And and I can remember um, uh, that after having gone through that, my, 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 my faith was a little bit, you know, shaken. My rehabilitation occurred, if you will, through the writings of Father Jacques Philippe. He wrote a great Theresean retreat called The Way of Trust and Love. And that's the thing that, the, the, you know, suffering has a way sometimes of shaking up our confidence, shaking our faith in God and, and, and having us lose sight of that idea of the way of trust and love. And so anyone in the midst of the, of the crucible of suffering, I strongly recommend like Father Jacques Philippe's work, The Way of Trust and Love. He also has one called Finding and Maintaining uh, Peace. And, and, and both of those had a way of getting my head back into the life of Christ 
and how, as John Paul II said in South Liturgy to Dolores, God has made suffering, uh, redeemed it and put it into, uh, you know, made it crucial to the, 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 the ultimate good, our eternal salvation. Well, it's excellent. Um, my friend, um, just again, a reminder of everyone, I'm going to put this PDF on the, on the website for you to look at, um, to, to pray over. Um, you know, Paul said to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things there. Uh, he's, Paul said to Timothy, as for you, always be steady, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your mission, ministry. I mean, it's a part of our journey. Anyone who by grace has been awakened to Jesus Christ and then again by grace has been empowered to choose Christ to, in obedience of faith, it's kind of like C.S. Lewis's wonderful book the, um, on the screw tape letters. As soon as you respond, it wakes the devils and, and they want to attack. And it's going to be there. And uh, it's a part of the spiritual battle. We, we want to serve Christ. And just one last verse that I want to run by you, Bruce, that I know was one that I, didn't re- I don't remember seeing, though I read the New Testament dozens of times as a Protestant and preached through it. I don't remember seeing this because I only preached half of this verse. And I wonder if you mm. did the same. Philippians 1.29. Paul writes, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's there. It's there. It's in the, equa- it's in the equation uh, because to be a Christian is to be a what? A little Christ. <laughs> you, know, you know, Jesus' life being relived through us. Hence, Jesus said, uh, all, all Protestants, that they know Luke 9, 23. You know, you know, take up your cross and follow him. You know, we know it. We know that Jesus suffered. We know that he calls us to take up our cross. But somehow, many times, still manage to kind of keep that separate, if you will, from our salvation, we, we want to insulate ourselves from it because suffering is simply not fun. If you actually like pain, you need a psychiatrist. You know, yeah. if you like pain, and yet at the same time, <clears throat> that's different from discovering the joy of realizing that all sufferings are transformed by the love of Christ and have redemptive value. And I will say this before we run out of time. Also, we've only touched the hem of the garment. Oh, you know, right. and, and, and and this thing. So I, I really would like to recommend three sources of further reading that helped me Excellent. a great deal on suffering. Uh, it's pretty hard to top Peter Kreef's Making Sense of Suffering. Great book written in his typical dialogue fashion, but a lot of food for thought <laughs> in, in Peter Kreef's Making Sense of Suffering. Also, the magnum opus on suffering is John Paul II's South Dolores, uh, the salvific, on salvific suffering, where he basically says in the introduction that joy comes from discovering the meaning of suffering. In other words, joy doesn't come from the absence of suffering because no one has the absence of suffering, but discovering its meaning. So Salvifici Dolores, you can get it in the Vatican's website. And finally, I've mentioned already, Father Jacques Philippe's works, The Way of Trust and Love and Searching for and Maintaining Peace. These books are ways to actually help navigate the waters of suffering because, again, as John Paul II said, joy comes from discovering the meaning of suffering, not the avoidance of it, (laughs) but the meaning of it. Bruce, thank you. I do want to add that that wonderful book by John Paul is essentially a Bible study of Colossians one twenty four. Indeed, it is. I mean, it's amazing. It's a Bible study. It's of it is. Colossians one twenty four. So, any of you wondered what, what Colossians one twenty four really means? Get that book by 
by Pope John Paul. It's free. You can download Saint, it from the Saint website. John Paul. That's right. It's free. Bruce, and anyone who's been watching this program right now, I don't want you to move, Bruce. I just want you to sit still. Anyone watching this program would have felt that the entire time you were under peril of death because right above your head, I know you know it's a it's a deer antler, but it looks like this huge chicken claw ready to grab you. <laughs> uh, under the, there it is. So, Bruce, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. I look forward to having you back on Deep in Scripture, and, and God bless you, my friend. And uh, all of you, thank you for joining us on Deep in Scripture. Again, go to deepinscripture.com to find out more about this. Send us an email at dis at chnetwork.org, or you can visit us at www.chnetwork.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. God bless you. See you again next week.